You're listening to the Promise Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Come on, that's so awesome. That's an amazing story, amazing testimony. Come on. Good morning, Promise Church family. Thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, I just... I'm so excited for what God's doing today, even in the snow. Like, we thought 2020 or going into 2021 couldn't get any crazier. And Snowmageddon literally comes like the most snow we've ever had in like 12 years. And here we are. I'm so thankful that we are in 2021 and we have the resources and the technology to come to you in your home still, still be able to share God's presence and his, his word with you. Uh, it's so amazing, such a, such a blessing. Uh, I want to just remind you of a couple of announcements. Uh, one of them was just mentioned, First Fruits Offering. Uh, another one is coming this weekend. This weekend, we're so excited that we get to ha- have Eric Gilmore and his wife and his staff coming with us uh, this weekend. On Saturday, this coming Saturday, we're going to have a School of His Presence conference. Uh, please register. Please sign up. It's going to be Saturday from 9 to 5. Eric's going to lead that whole time. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be an amazing time of impartation. Uh, I've been following the Lord a long time, and I'm so happy with what God has been doing in my life in the secret place alone with him. But I know that I have more to grow in, and I have more to learn. And this time on Saturday is really a training and an equipping of how to spend time alone with the Lord, how to encounter him, and how to grow in that secret place. So I would encourage you, whether you are brand new in Jesus or you've been following Jesus for 40 years, to come this Saturday. Register on our website, thepromisechurch.com slash events, and please sign up for that. It'll be well worth every dollar you spend to be here, and it will be an amazing time. Uh, He'll also be here this next Sunday, which will be fantastic. So please join us online or in person this next Sunday for both services. He will be here, and it's going to be an amazing time together. I also want to let you know that at the end of this month, on February 28th, the last Sunday of this month and just two weeks from now, we're going to be having an annual financial review. It'll be at 4 p.m. in the afternoon here at the church. Uh, This is where we, you know, Pastor Aaron will be sharing what God has been doing in our church's finances over the past year. So the year of 2020, we'll probably review even a little bit the previous years and be able to celebrate the blessing of the Lord, his faithfulness, his goodness, the increase he's brought us, and what we've done with that. We, we take that responsibility to be good stewards with the blessing of the Lord very highly. We want to be transparent, and we want to be able to provide that opportunity for you to see what God's done in and through your church uh, as, you've given, as you've given and sowed into us. So that's in two weeks, February 28th at 4 p.m. We'd love to, to see you here. It'll be a great, great time celebrating, and we'll see if Pastor Aaron cries. He usually does um, because it's so fun. It's so good. Uh, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Uh, in case you, you needed to hear that, I want to say happy Valentine's Day to my wife, who's working a camera today. Uh, love you, honey. You're the best. I'm so thankful for you. And I want to say happy Valentine's to my daughters, Liberty and Lovey. I'm sure you're watching with your friends this morning. And uh, I am, your dad will be your Valentine until you are like in your mid-20s and the Lord provides the perfect man of God for you that your mom and I approve of. Until then, I'm your Valentine. Just want to make sure everybody knows that. But um, I'm excited to share with you this morning God's word. And uh, before we jump in, why don't we just pray, put our focus on him, and just gather your family, get your Bibles, your notepads ready to take notes, and I'm excited for what God's going to do in his word today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your presence. 
We thank you so much for your word. God, you are holy and there is no one like you. And God, we ask that today you would teach us in your word, that you would show us our hearts and that your word would do what it does best, that it would cut out anything in our lives that is not from you. And Lord, that you would make us and transform us to be more like you. Oh, we give you all praise and glory. We love you so much in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I shared a message at the end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting called, Show Us Your Glory. And I shared with you really what I felt God had put on my heart, that he had told us that we are people marked by his presence, but he was inviting us to go deeper into a place that we'd be a people of his glory. And I really still, you know, we're in a journey of what does that mean? What does that look like? And uh, we talked about Moses, where Moses had an opportunity to, to settle for something, where he pleaded with the Lord for God's presence to go with them as they continued on into the promised land. And, and God said, okay, my presence will go with you. And Moses could have stopped right there, but instead he says, Lord, show me your glory. There was something, a hunger, a desperation in Moses that said, God, I know that there's more and I want it. I'm not going to stop until I have more of you. And so God's inviting us into that same place of hunger, of passion, to go after him, to be a people of his glory. And we're going to learn and discover and grow together what that looks like, I believe, as as we continue on. But today, I want to continue on in that theme a little bit with the title of All for Your Glory. Or really, in essence, all for his glory, that all of it is for him. And I believe in order for us to be a people of the glory, we can't desire to have any of that for ourselves. That we are simply made and created to be people that receive any glory and to just transfer it right up to him. And to give it all to him. And to live lives for his glory, to give him honor and to give him praise. And I I read a scripture a couple weeks ago when I shared that was 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 that says, uh, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, I fear lest somehow as the serpent, the devil deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And I talked about how we can never try to move on from Jesus, that everything must be in a place of all about Jesus. Everything must be in a place of the simplicity of Christ, that this is what Adam and Eve were deceived into. They had access to everything in the Garden of Eden. They had full access to God. They, they had no hindrances. They were without sin. They had every need provided for within the Garden, and yet the devil deceived them to think that they needed more. The devil deceived them to think that they didn't have enough. And so they bought into that lie and they ate from that tree of of the knowledge of good and evil and they lost that full access to God. And so we must be ones now in the new covenant of grace that now can boldly come before the throne of grace and have access to God because of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. We, We must be ones that never lose sight of all that we have in Christ. We must never move on from the simplicity of Jesus. We talked about that the glory of God simply is the face of Christ. The glory of God is the face of Christ. What does that mean? It means it's a, a, it's a furthering revelation of him. To know him more, to know him more deeply. This is what God is inviting us into. As, as sons and daughters of God, we were created for glory. We were created to be in his glory and designed to give him glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
Whatever you do, no matter what it is, in your, in your family, as husband and wife, in your parenting with your children, in, in your jobs and in your careers, in, in every aspect of your life, it is meant to bring glory to God. If something that you're doing, something that you're a part of in your life, isn't going to bring glory to God, then essentially, we probably shouldn't do it. It's a waste of time, or it's, it's something that isn't from God, it isn't of God, and God will want to cut that out of our lives. Everything in our lives is designed to bring glory to God. Psalms 115, verse 1, says this, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Our lives are meant to be ones, again, that give glory to God. And anytime we receive any type of recognition, any type of glory on this earth, we are simply to be a passer through, a pass through for the glory to be transferred to Him, to the Lord. So, I, I, in a sense, I want to ask uh, ourselves this question: What's our motivation? What what drives you? What what moves you? What gets you up in the morning? What excites you? What delights you? What what makes you want to live your life? Maybe you even struggle with purpose. Maybe you even struggle with motivation or, or desire or, or hunger. But what is it for you? Is it success? Is it recognition? Is it, you know, money, favor in finances? Is it a promotion? Is it to have a family and to have kids? What motivates you? What moves you? What is your dream? What is your desire? What is your ambition and your goal? And I'm telling, I'm telling you that unless... We allow God to be that place in our lives, we will walk into the devil's trap. Because Lucifer was an archangel created by God for worship. His entire being actually had instruments like built into him to lead worship in heaven and to bring worship to God. And in that, sometime in, in all of eternity past, whenever it was, before creation, Lucifer had some terrible thought in his mind to think that I don't want to give God the glory anymore. I want it for me. And that was what actually caused his fall out of heaven and all of the angels that went with him was a desire, an unhealthy motivation and agenda to to have what only belonged to God. And we must live lives in that place of simplicity with the Lord to, to live a life for him and for his glory. The world tries so hard to paint a picture of what success is supposed to look like. It tries so hard to paint a picture of what you must have or what you must attain to in order to be you know, significant in this world or in order to, in a sense, have worth or value. But I'm telling you that the cross of Jesus Christ was forever to be the perfect demonstration and illustration of your worth and your value. That Jesus left heaven, became a man, and died on a cross, was brutally tortured and beaten for your sake, taking your place to forever say to you, you are worth it. You have value, and I love you, and I came for you. And now, because of that, we have an opportunity to live for him and to give him that worship and that glory that we would ever attain in this life. See, success isn't how the world paints the picture. Even in the church, you know, there, there's like measurements of success of what a successful church is supposed to look like. You know, lots of people in attendance, big buildings, lots of money, lots of familiar, or lots of recognition and fame and notoriety within the church world or even within the world itself. And I don't really think, we don't really believe as leaders that that's God's true measurement of success. Yes, healthy things will grow. There is going to be those signs that are there. But 
For us, the standard is, did Jesus come? Was he in the room? Did, did we recognize it when he came? And did we allow him to move freely? And did we allow him to do what he wanted to do? And when he shows up, there should be evidence. People will encounter his presence. People will be moved in their hearts, in their bodies. People will be healed. People will be saved. People will be set free from sin and addictions. This is what's supposed to happen. And for us, if, when, if we have a gathering and Jesus moves, if we even have to do a live stream like we're doing today, and you encounter him in your home, that's all we're after. It's for you to see him, for you to know him, for you to experience him. We don't want people to come or to watch us and go, wow, they are awesome. Those leaders are amazing. Those worship leaders are amazing. Those pastors are amazing. No, we want you to say, wow, Jesus is so amazing that you see him and that we just simply are a reflection of him to the world and, and, and for you. And we have amazing, we have amazing people. We have the best people, I believe, on the planet. I'm so thankful for our worship team. Come on, worship was so amazing today, you guys. You guys did a phenomenal job. Uh, and I'm so thankful that you guys braved the elements to be here, to be able to provide this for our people and to worship the Lord. You guys are awesome. We have the best people. I mean, you know, sometimes as a, as a parent, you're like, I have the best kids. Well, I, I think we have the best people in, in the best church. And I... Maybe someone else disagrees with me, but I, I will say, sorry, if you're here long enough, you will agree with me uh, that we have the best. So I, I love you, church. We love you. We're so thankful for you. So thankful for the volunteers that we have here, that we have in all of our church and our worship team. Pastor Casey and our worship team are phenomenal. So good. I want to just share a couple stories with you. A couple stories out of the scriptures uh, that, about two women who lived this life of what it looks like to give everything to the Lord, to give him glory, and what God can do in that moment. The first one I want to talk to you about is Hannah. Is that Hannah, her story is in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. And uh, Eric Gilmore, who's coming uh, next weekend, he wrote a book called Into the Cloud. And in that book, there's a chapter uh, about Hannah that was a, is a phenomenal, a lot of the thoughts I'm sharing come from that book. And if, when he comes, you should buy that book uh, next weekend. Shameless plug. But in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, the, the story shifts to this, this family. And Elkanah is Hannah's husband. I, some of these names I know sound very close to one another, but track with me. Elkanah is the husband. Hannah is the wife. Uh, she is his wife. This is in a day and a culture and a time where having multiple wives was culturally acceptable. Obviously, thank God, not today. Uh, his second wife was named Penaniah. I think I'm saying that right. We're going to call her Penny for short because it's a little complicated to say. And Penny was, was blessed to be able to have multiple children, to provide Elkanah for children, uh, to provide him children. And Hannah, her room was barren, and she was not able to provide children. And in that day, in that culture, women's value, their worth, was based upon providing children, was based upon how many sons, sons specifically, they could provide their husbands. And so Hannah is distraught, she's discouraged, she's depressed. In fact, there's a part in early chapter one where it says that she wouldn't even join the rest of the family in, in a meal because she's so discouraged that the other wife, Penny, would often ridicule her and degrade her and, and just come against her and make fun of her that she couldn't have any children. And so there's this moment where Elkanah comes to Hannah and says to her, essentially, 
Am I not more to you? Do I not mean more to you than ten sons? Why are you so discouraged that you can't have children? I love you and I am content with you for who you are. And something shifted in Hannah in that moment. Because all of a sudden, she went from a place of desiring children, desiring sons for herself, for her to have some sense of worth and value and to be accepted and loved by her husband. And she realized that her husband loved her no matter what. And that husband in that story represents Jesus for us. And though we, we might desire to be fruitful and productive in this world and desire even to bring things unto the Lord, we must start with the place of realizing that the Lord loves us and is pleased with us and sees our value despite no matter what we could give him, no matter what we could do for him. And when we come to that recognition and that realization, that place, then all of a sudden, anything that we can give, anything that we can do is coming from the right heart and from the right place. It's not for our own sake, our own recognition, so that we can feel good about ourselves. And so you see Hannah's whole perspective change. She, she's in that moment, has that revelation with her husband, and it goes into the verse 9 of chapter 1, where and then she joins uh, the family at a later time in a meal, and then they go to the tabernacle to begin to worship the Lord. And that is where Hannah has this memorable marking moment where she goes before the Lord and, and it looks, she looks crazy. She looks drunk according even to the priest, Eli, at the time. And she's hungering for the Lord and she's crying out to the Lord for a son, not for herself. Not a son that, so that she's accepted or that the world no longer rejects her or mocks her, but a son to give to the Lord. Lord, if you will please just grant me this one wish and desire. Lord, I desire a son, not for me, but for you. I will fully give him to you. He will serve and minister before you and in your house all the days of his life. And all of a sudden, in a moment, because her, her desire for glory shifted from herself to the Lord, God granted her, her, her request and answered her prayer. And God gave her Samuel. And three years later, she presented Samuel to the priest to be ministering before the Lord. And, and essentially, this is what happened in Hannah. She wanted to give something of value to God instead of seeking to be valued by the culture. And when that happens inside of us, all of a sudden God can entrust us with more, with his blessings, with his glory, because he knows that we're not in it for ourselves. I want to talk to you now about Mary of Bethany is the second woman. And I talk a lot about her because I think she had a really special place in Jesus' heart. And we have a lot to learn from her example. And in, in John chapter 11, there's a story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus where Lazarus has died. He was sick. He, was, he died. He's been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus now comes on the scene apparently late, behind, schedule. And Martha comes to Jesus and basically has a face-to-face -face conversation, debate, and really, in a sense, attacks Jesus. Why weren't you here, Jesus? If you were here before, if you were here earlier, my brother would not have died. And Jesus, in that moment, so kind and gracious, and he says to her, don't worry, your brother will rise again. And she's like, oh, I know, he'll rise again one day at the end of time at the resurrection. And he's like, no, no, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, Martha wanted Jesus and was coming to Jesus for things, for something. She didn't realize that everything that she wanted, everything she needed, was found in the person 
of Jesus. And that is why Jesus said, you're missing it, Martha. I am all that you're looking for. I am the resurrection and the life. What was Mary's response when Jesus came? Mary comes and she falls at Jesus' feet in a place recognizing him as if he was king, as if, in a sense, that posture of one would have before royalty, and falls at his feet and says the exact same words as Martha. Lord, I know that if you were here, my brother would not have died. Yet, coming from a completely different heart heart posture, coming from a different place, Lord, I'm not in this for myself. I just want you, and I'm so glad that you're here, and I trust you, and I know that you are king, and I know that you are able, no matter what, no matter what I feel in this moment. And she bowed down before the Lord. And in that moment, that moved Jesus to go to the tomb. Martha and him had a debate, and Mary's response moved Jesus to the tomb. And he goes to the tomb, and he says, roll away the stone. And what does Martha say? Martha's like, it's going to be stinky. Jesus, don't you know he's been dead for four days? There's going to be an odor. And a sense of religious spirit, about to receive what she wanted and was too afraid because of her dignity, because of her pride, because of what it would look like. And Mary had already lost all that dignity, all that pride. She didn't care. And so Jesus says to Martha, Did I not say that if you would just believe, you would see what? The glory of God. You see, our pride, our our dignity, our religiousness is what usually holds back God from demonstrating his glory, demonstrating his power, his love. And Mary moved Jesus in such a way that Lazarus was raised from the dead when it was seemingly impossible. And so now we go into chapter 12 of John, John chapter 12. And there's this scene in this moment uh, where Mary and many others are gathered with Jesus. John 12 verse 1 says, six days, after, or six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served as her custom, uh, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In that time, in that culture, in that day, a woman's hair was her glory. A woman's hair was, in a sense, her her glory, what she was, in a sense, maybe even known for. This is why they often would have very long hair and would wrap it up and braid it up uh, and have all the, the different styles that went with it. And that alabaster jar of fragrance, of perfume, that was very expensive, was more than a year's wages. Many believe, many scholars believe, was also actually a gift given to her as a part of an inheritance to be a dowry. In a sense, to be given to someone to have her be married to them. And she takes that, and she breaks it and pours it over Jesus. And she comes and gets on her face and wipes his feet with her hair. In a sense, saying, God, I am not in this for any of my glory. I let all of it down before you, and I worship you because you are worthy of everything that I have, and you are worthy of everything that I could ever have. And in the future of a marriage, in the future of a family, you're all I want, you're all I need. And this is where Jesus wants all of us to be, to be in a place, to recognize him for who he really is, that he is God, that he is our savior, he is our king, and as the bride of Christ, he is our husband, and that we would give him everything. And because of this response, because of her actions, Jesus forever attached the gospel to her. See, Hannah 
has the son, Samuel, the, probably one of the greatest prophets of the whole Old Testament. She was actually able to be fruitful when she desired God's glory instead of her own. Mary, desiring God, Jesus' glory, and to minister to him and to love on him, received a recognition with Jesus, with the gospel, forever. Not seeking it, not desiring it, but because of her response, Jesus forever attached to the gospel. He says, wherever this gospel of the, of the kingdom is preached, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Wow, I mean, think about it. It's amazing. It's so incredible what Jesus did in that moment. See, Jesus must be enough for us. He isn't meant to be a means to an end. He is meant to be everything. He isn't meant to be a side dish. <laughs> he, is, he is everything. This is a quote by A.W. Tozer. God, being, being who he is as God, must always be sought for himself, never as a means toward something else. The teaching of the Bible is that God is himself the end for which man was created. See, Jesus is the treasure of all treasures. He stands alone. He is the treasure in the field that it talks about in Matthew 13, that when you've encountered him, when you've tasted him, when you've experienced him, you will sell everything that you have to have him. You will give all for him because he is worth it. He is so good. And when you have tasted of him, you will know what I am talking about. Psalm 73 verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This guy has got to be our cry. And I, I'm, I hope that in your homes right now, you are experiencing the presence and the love of Christ just as I am right now in this moment because he is wooing us to himself. He is asking us, will we want more? Will we go deeper? Will we be misunderstood as Hannah and Mary were? Hannah was misunderstood, thought to be drunk. People ridiculed Mary and said, why this waste? Why would you waste this amount of money and this value of this, this perfume Right now, and Jesus is like, leave her alone. What she has done, what she did for me, it's, been, it's beautiful for me. It's not a waste. You can never waste yourself on Jesus. He's so good. He's, he's so incredible, so amazing. God was never meant to exist to help us get ahead in the world. God is not interested in blessing you for you. <laughs> he, he isn't trying to help you get better or to better yourself. He is not a self-improvement program. He isn't interested in improving you. He's interested in you dying to yourself, dying to your old self, picking up a cross and following him. That the, the life of Christ is a death to life type of a process. It is from darkness to light. It is not a self-improvement program. You cannot try to do things in your own effort to better yourself and just try to add Jesus into a part of that so that you live a better, more comfortable, blessed life. He isn't interested in that. You are made to give him glory. You are made to know him. And I'm telling you, when you experience him, when you encounter him for who he is, you won't care about all that other stuff because you'll have him. There is nothing that compares to Jesus. There is nothing or anyone like him. He stands alone. He stands above and afar from all because he alone is God and he alone is so good. Only Jesus can fully satisfy you, sustain you, fulfill you in every way, fully and completely. And when we come to the revelation and the realization 
that everything we need is found in Christ and that in him are all things that one could ever want or have, everything changes. Everything changes because he becomes our treasure. He becomes our reward. He becomes our destination and he becomes our fulfillment. You see, Mary recognized that everything was found in him, that in him is all things. And that is what Jesus even said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He is love. He is life. He is peace. He is joy. He is everything. He is healing. He is provision. He is our reward. He is heaven's reward. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be blown away by all the stuff there. We're simply going to be blown away by him. This is why all the angels and all the creatures of heaven bow down over and over again. And we have an opportunity in life to receive crowns based upon how we live our lives here on this earth. We can receive crowns of righteousness and, and crowns uh, to, of all different kinds that it talks about in the scriptures. But what are we going to do with those crowns when we actually get to heaven? We're simply going to take them and put them at his feet and bow before him and say, Jesus, you alone are king. You're the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You alone are worthy of all praise. I can't wait. I want to live my life to gain crowns simply to throw at his feet. This is the life that God's inviting us into. See, when you live a life of all for his glory, you will live your life in a way of excellence, of giving everything that you have towards what God is asking you to do. And to be a good steward of all that he has given you. Every talent, every gift, every ability, every resource at your disposal. Everything that the Lord has entrusted to you, you will steward it well. You will be a person of excellence because you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for him. And therefore, whatever your hand finds to to do, you will do with all of your might. Because you know that your work is not for yourself. It's not even for your family. It's being done unto the Lord. This is the life of a living sacrifice. This is truly is a life of worship, of what true worship is supposed to look like. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this, For in Christ are all the fullness of the deity or the Godhead that lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Why have you been brought to fullness? Because if you know Jesus, you are in Christ and he is in you. So now you have all things that you need. You have everything that you could ever desire because it's all found in him. And the sooner we realize this and the sooner we stop desiring the things that the world has to offer us and trying to fill ourselves and stuff ourselves with anything else that, that the world tells us we need, our lives will be forever changed. We'll be satisfied. We'll be fulfilled in Christ. We are made to bring God glory. And we do that by not seeking our own glory, but just seeking after him. When that is our heart and our motivation, then God can trust us with all of the manifestations of his glory because then we will not be distracted by them. When God shows up, crazy things happen. Unexplainable things happen. Supernatural things happen. Yes, there are miracles. Yes, there are deliverances. Yes, there are salvations. But there's also weird stuff that humanly we don't always like to talk about or, or even see or you know, want to see maybe. I've heard gold dust appearing. I've heard of feathers and rain clouds appearing in buildings and raining in a building. Fire on top of buildings. Yet there is no fire. And the fire trucks come 
The, fire peop- the firemen come, but there's no fire except his fire. I'm not after those things. We're not after those things. If they come, great. We're after him. And if we're after him and that is our heart, that is our motivation, no matter how much money we receive, no matter how much recognition we receive, if no matter what signs or wonders come, it won't move us. We won't get caught up in those things. We won't get distracted with those things. We will stay, stay simply about him. And he can trust us with more of himself because we're simply desiring to see his face. And in seeing his face, we'll have found all our heart desires. I want to end, I want to close with this passage of scripture. It's found in Song of Songs. I call it Song of Songs, and if that's that way in my Bible. Some Bibles, it's the Song of Solomon. But essentially, it is the Song of All Songs. It is a, it is a story of love between a husband, a bridegroom, and a bride. It is the story, really, also of Jesus, our bridegroom, and us, his bride. And this is in chapter 5, where the, br- the bride is being asked by a crowd, by a group of people, this question. In chapter 5, verse 9, they ask her, How is your beloved better than others? And I believe that the world is asking us that question still today. What makes your Jesus better than anything else? Why is he God and there is no other God? Why do you say that? Why do you believe that? Why do you, why do you say that and, and tell that to me? That he alone is God. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. They're asking, why, what makes Jesus better than alcohol, than drugs, than sexual stuff? What, what makes Jesus better than anything else that we could have? Success, fame, uh, recognition, promotions, careers, all these things that we could have in this life. What makes Jesus better? They're asking us that question. And the problem in the church for so long, and even to today, is that there's so many Christians going around living their lives joyless, full, full of discouragement, full of depression, weighted down by anxieties and fears, weighted down by all kinds of struggles in life, moping through, complaining and groaning. What, what ticked Jesus off and got off the most about the people of Israel in the Old Testament? They're complaining. They're groaning. They're moaning. And yet today, still, so many of us complain and moan as soon as we experience a slight trial. Maybe you're complaining about the snow. Embrace it. It ain't going away super fast. Please, Lord, let it go. Here we are. We have an opportunity to, st- to be joyful no matter what trial we face. To have a right heart, to have a right attitude. And if we as believers aren't expressing through our lives and through our our expressions of our face and through our lifestyles that Jesus is better than anything else, the world will never want what we have. So here is what she says in Song of Songs chapter 5, verse 10. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. Other translations say he's dazzling. He's the most outstanding among 10,000. In the King James, it says he is the chiefest among 10,000. That's not even a real English word. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, says only Jesus can, can uh, cause such uh, an expression and satisfaction that language fails to fully express who he is. He's the chiefest. He's the most outstanding among 10,000. No one compares to him. Verse 16 of chapter 5, his mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely and desirable in every way. This is my beloved. This is my friend. 
His mouth is sweetness. His mouth drips with his word. His word is like honey to us. It's sweeter than anything else that we could ever experience in this life. And I'm, I just encourage you, church, to have a hunger to, to stir inside of you, to recognize that your God that you, you say is your God, your Jesus, is better than anything else that you could ever have or experience in this life. And for you to run after him, and for you who are adults and who are parents that lead a family, to, to set an example of what it looks like to run after Jesus, to live fully for him, and so that the next generation recognizes that they don't have to try, and they don't have to dabble in anything of this world to... to come to the realization that Jesus is better, that they can see it modeled by you, they can see it lived out by you, that nothing compares to his goodness and it compares to him, that he is altogether lovely, that words fail to fully describe who he is, that everything about him is desirable. And if we will have that heart and we will have that desire to simply be people, to give him glory, to do everything unto him for his glory, then all of a sudden we will be a people of his glory because he will be able to reveal and show us who he is in a greater way. And we won't be caught off to the left or to the right or be distracted by things, but we will stay focused on him and enjoying every part of him because he is our delight and he is all that we could ever want or need. I just want to pray over you. And Pastor Casey's going to come up and close our time together today. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, let everything in our lives bring you glory. Lord, if there's anything in our lives, I, we, I ask Holy Spirit that you would search our hearts and show us anything in us that does not glorify you, that does not honor you. And Lord, that you would grace us to, to have that removed from our lives. The only in full surrender, Lord, do we know that we can experience all of you and experience the fulfillment and the satisfaction that you have for us. Lord, we, we give you everything. Lord, we lay our, at your feet, and we just desire to see you and to know you in a real and tangible way. You are so worthy. You are so holy. You are so good. And you are worthy of all of our lives, and we give ourselves to you, Lord. Bless your people today. Bless your people, the promised church. God, sustain them, protect them. I plead the blood of Jesus over every family, every person. God, that they would experience your love. They would experience your presence today. God, that you'd protect them. Lord, that no sickness could come against them. No temptation could come against them that would, that would draw them away from you. Lord God, I ask that you would just... Be, let us be a people marked by your presence, marked by your glory. And God, that we would see you move in our region and in our, our northwest. God, that would sweep across our nation and the world. God, that people would know you in such a real and tangible way, God, through us. God, because we are simply wanting to give you all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.